people travel. When we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear different perspectives, we better understand other stories. We learn to stand with people instead of having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. This week, we're chatting with a new friend, Katie Lane. Katie and I met through a podcasting group that we are both part of, and today she's sharing her story with us about alcohol and addiction. So Katie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Katie, for having me. So happy to be here. I'm excited to get to hear more of your story. I know we've chatted a little bit already, but to get to hear a little bit more about what your journey has looked like and what your life looks like now. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start. You've primarily talked about like alcohol use and um, alcohol use disorder. And what did that look like for you? Yeah, you know, um, man, (laughs) it was really a struggle for about 10 years for me um, with regards to alcohol use disorder. So that's the term that's used a lot today. People might be familiar with alcoholism or alcohol addiction, but I've kind of been immersed in this field now for six years. And the term we use is alcohol use disorder because people exist on a spectrum of mild, moderate to severe. Mm -hmm. And for me, I would say it was between like moderate to severe alcohol use disorder where, um, you know, I was someone who here in the U.S., the drinking age is 21, and I didn't really care about drinking. I remember at my 21st birthday, people were buying me drinks, and I was just, like, giving them away. I just, I didn't like to get drunk. I didn't love alcohol. I was kind of sipping on a beer, um, and so I kind of assumed at that point that maybe I was, like, invincible to developing an alcohol dependence, um, but what happened for me is in my early 20s, I started associating with a lot of people who drank heavily, and I kind of started to drink that way as well. And I kind of thought this is a phase, it's what I'm supposed to do at this age, and I'll kind of outgrow it and mature in a few years. Um, But what happened for me was really that, uh, you know, several year period of almost daily drinking, binge drinking, you know, just really in that that lifestyle. Um, When I tried to rein it in and kind of cut back one day, I remember I was sitting and I was drinking and I was like, man, I can't remember the last day that I haven't had a drink. Like the last day I went totally alcohol free. And that scared me a little bit. I, I knew it had been more than a year. I'd been drinking every day for a year. And so I was like, I'm going to take a week long break, you know, detox my body. And that was the first attempt I had at taking a break from drinking. And it was extremely difficult. And that surprised me. Um, I thought that I could just take a break, no problem, you know, return to drinking after the the week long break I plan to take. But what happened for me is I was actually faced with um, alcohol cravings, where all I was doing was like thinking about drinking and wanting to drink, where almost every evening during that week, I would take a little sleeping pill just to go to bed by like seven o'clock at night, because that was the time I was usually drinking. And I didn't know what else to do with my time. And so I was really counting down the days until that week was over. And um, when the week was over, I returned to drinking again. And um, that's when I realized I had an an alcohol problem. And really that started my dozens of attempts of trying to kind of rein it in or control it or moderate or reduce and really failing at it and my drinking seeming to get worse. And um, I was someone who was drinking seven days a week, really difficult to have one alcohol-free day in the week. And... um, you know, I was also kind of like a a person where a lot of people in my life didn't know how badly I struggled. I was very much hiding it and still functioning, still holding, holding down a job and all of that, but more and more consequences were coming into my life as a result of my drinking. Wow. So then you talked about having a collection of failed attempts. What did it look like when you were finally successful? Yeah, well, um, when I was finally successful, it was actually in 2017. I, um, 
I often spent times like searching online for alternative treatments or just treatments for alcohol addiction because I tried quitting cold turkey and, um, you know, going to different personal development retreats or doing certain fasts or cleanses. I tried like everything to, um, to try to quit, but, and like, by the way, I was not a believer at that time. So that was something I didn't have as well. Like I didn't believe in God then. And so I didn't have that to lean on. Um, but what happened for me is in 2017 doing research, just like trying to find an answer to this issue. Um, I stumbled upon a science-based protocol um, that's been around for decades, literally for over 30 years, um, that actually helps uh, the brain to unlearn alcohol addiction. Because what I've learned since then is that, you know, no, none of us are born with alcohol addiction. It's something that develops over time. And I think in the medical community, there's still this debate of, is it a disease or is it a learned behavior? And, you know, I'm not qualified to speak to that exactly. But in my personal experience, I think it's a little bit of both. Because I remember when I first started drinking, I didn't have this issue. I had control. I didn't care about alcohol. But over time, by repeatedly drinking, I learned this alcohol use disorder behavior. And once I learned it, it was like too late to go back. I couldn't mm -hmm. undo what I had learned um, until in 2017, I stumbled upon this treatment. It's, it's called the Sinclair Method. It's named after the doctor who discovered it, Dr. David Sinclair. And this treatment is incredibly effective. It's been clinically proven for decades to have at least a 78% success rate at helping most people essentially unlearn alcohol addiction. And what's so unique about this treatment is that it's not an abstinence-based treatment where you, you, know, you quit drinking and you start the treatment. You actually, and this is what I did, I started the treatment while I was still drinking because I tried to quit drinking and kept failing at it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe if I can start this treatment that will help me reduce my drinking, help my brain unlearn the addiction, maybe that's a more doable, realistic approach because nothing else has worked before. And um, this treatment was a game changer for me. Like within the first week of starting on it, um, I had an alcohol-free day, which might not sound like much to a lot of people, but for me, one alcohol-free day a week was incredibly difficult to achieve. Um, and I noticed that my craving and my desire for alcohol were reducing over time. And um, the longer I was on the treatment, the more control I got over alcohol. I really became more of a, a moderate drinker. I was having more alcohol-free days during the week than drinking days. I wasn't getting drunk anymore. I was going out and having a glass of wine and no more than that, no more desire um, for another one than that. And um, really over the course of a year of this treatment, I feel like it, I mean, I use the word cure or just heal me or reverse this alcohol addiction. I really feel like it cured me um, of, of the addiction. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the Sinclair Method is? Yeah, so the Sinclair Method is a really simple protocol that uses a medicine called naltrexone. It's a generic medication. It requires a prescription in most parts of the world, but it's cheap. It's non-addictive. It's been approved for alcohol since the 90s. Um, like it's just, it's, it, it's wild to me that it's not more well-known in the medical community, but with, with this treatment protocol, naltrexone is actually taken one hour before drinking alcohol. And what happens, like, just to describe from my own experience, when I took naltrexone mm -hmm. before drinking, what it did was it kind of muted the euphoric effects of alcohol. It didn't make me sick. Mm -hmm. It didn't make it an uncomfortable experience. It just made it a little bit less less euphoric or maybe slightly less enjoyable to where, you know, before this treatment, when I would start drinking one or two drinks, it was really hard for me to stop at that. I would just keep going and finish, for example, the whole bottle of wine, maybe open a second bottle of wine. 
And with this treatment over time, I would have one or two glasses of wine and I'd be like, nah, I just don't feel like any more than that, which was insane to me because that was exactly what I couldn't do for so long. Like I would rather almost not drink than even have have one drink. And so um, with this protocol, that medicine is taken one hour before drinking. And what it's doing, um, I mentioned that it helps the brain essentially unlearn alcohol use disorder is it's sitting, it was sitting on receptors in my brain essentially and blocking the reward reinforcement that alcohol produces because alcohol is addictive because it's very rewarding. Like at the simplest level, our brain loves reward and alcohol gives us lots of reward. And so with this medicine, it kind of blocks that reward. And so over time, this is exactly what happened to me. People can kind of develop an indifference to alcohol or just become uninterested or or less interested in alcohol. And again, it has a clinically proven 78% success rate to help most people. And I I think, you know, I've worked in this field now for five years and have Mm -hmm. my own personal experience. And it's amazing to me how many people, you know, doctors, nurses, stay-at-home parents, entrepreneurs, successful everyday people that you look at, you would never know that they struggle with alcohol. But I meet with people every day and like, you know, looking at them, you would never know. But I think as a a society, at least I had this kind of bias that like an alcoholic is someone over there, like in the gutter, their life is totally, you know, unmanageable. And, and, you know, it's very clear that they have this problem. But um, what was interesting from my perspective with struggling with alcohol and what I've seen with others is that, um, oftentimes this is something we kind of struggle with in secret and it's not obvious to the outside world. And that's something that I also loved about the Sinclair method is it's something that can be done discreetly from home. You don't Mm -hmm. have to tell anyone you're doing it. There's telemedicine doctors you can work with now to get the treatment. Um, And that was something that for me like was really incredible because there's so much shame and everything, you know, linked around our, our drinking or or excessive drinking. Yeah, no, that's so um, revolutionary really to think about like, there used to be what what we traditionally think of as like rehab, and that was, as far as I knew, the only option. But it, in today's day and age, there are a lot of different options um, that not everyone yeah. knows about. Yeah, and it's so true. I mean, I go to addiction conferences, and rehab is still definitely like the major player in the field. And it's all based around AA, which is a great program for some people. But for some people, it just doesn't work for them. Even I've had clients, they've been in it for years, and they're like, I can't get sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it is a completely different alternative, as you said, like revolutionary treatment that um, I feel like meets people where they're at and helps them, you know, get in a place where they can just start by reducing their drinking. And, you know, part of my story is that I haven't drank in five years and I quit drinking accidentally after 10 years of trying so hard to quit um, through this treatment. I just became completely uninterested in alcohol to Mm -hmm. where I tell people I just kept forgetting to drink. Mm. And um, I haven't drank in five years. I don't take naltrexone anymore because following the Sinclair method, it's only taken, you know, one hour before drinking. So um, yeah, that surprised me, honestly. Yeah, that's really cool too. And to hear like how it was actually helpful to help you recover and to to forget to drink. Yeah, that's a freeing place to be because you hear, I mean, I hear from a lot of people who are, um, you know, they're like, I'm a year sober and I still think about drinking every day or I still want to drink every day. And that's where I would be. I made it six months one time before this treatment and I just wanted to drink every day to where one day I finally just gave in to that urge. And mm-hmm. with this treatment, it's like the addiction. It feels like it's been erased from my brain. There's no urge. There's no desire for alcohol. And honestly, I could drink if I wanted to. I would just follow the protocol and take naltrexone beforehand. Um, but I just I have no interest in it, which is yeah. uh, wild to me. Yeah, that's awesome. How did you discover it? 
So it was by accident one day. Um, <laughs> like I was oftentimes when I'd be really hungover in bed, I'd just start searching online for an answer. And I came across this TEDx talk, which now has, I think, close to 5 million views by an actress. Her name is Claudia Christian. And she did a TEDx where she talked about how she overcame alcoholism through this treatment. And she also has a documentary about it called One Little Pill. But I remember when I first came across the TEDx talk, I was like, this is too good to be true. Like, she's Mm -hmm. just another celebrity peddling something. Like, there's probably a gimmick. And I get that feedback from people a lot, too, who are like, you know, you you work for the pharmaceutical company, which I don't at all. It's a generic drug. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's almost free. Um, uh, so she talked about how she overcame it, and I was like in disbelief that how could there be this treatment out there that works on a neurological level? And I had been struggling for so long and looking for an answer, and I I never came across this. My doctor never talked to me about it, mm-hmm. and I've since learned that a lot of doctors don't know about it. Like it's mm-hmm. just uh, been really slow to gain traction for you know a number of reasons perhaps we could talk about later. But um, I remember when I first learned about it, I called to five different doctors in my area trying to get the medication and was refused at every single place. They said, no, you need to go to rehab. You need to um, go to an AA program. You need to go to a detox facility. And I wasn't someone who needed detox. Like I was drinking a lot, like at least a bottle of wine every day, usually more. I'd drink vodka, beer, whatever. I was drinking a lot, Mm -hmm. but I was still functioning. Mm -hmm. And, um, wasn't in a place where I could uproot my life and go away to rehab for 30 days and also just didn't feel like I I was that bad, you know, to Mm -hmm. to go to rehab. And so um, really struggled to find a doctor to prescribe until I found, thankfully, a telemedicine doctor. There's there's more telemedicine doctors now that really specialize in this treatment and they'll meet from people with people from home and help them with the prescription. And so I met with a doctor. They got me started on it. And um, yeah, the rest is history. But I, I remember at the time when I when I first learned about it and I thought it was too good to be true, I was looking for real people who'd use the treatment mm-hmm. outside of this celebrity and there was like no stories online. So I really oh. did like wonder, is this too good to be true? Mm-hmm. And that prompted me to start, after I started the treatment, I started making YouTube videos just to be like, hey guys, I'm a real person. This is working for yeah. me. Like it's not a fraud. It's not a scam. Right. Um, so that kind of led to me working in the field now and really being an advocate for this treatment. Right. If it's been so helpful to you and I'm sure so many others, why are people so hesitant to do it? Well, it's funny. One of the um, researchers of this medicine, his name is Dr. Volpicelli. Like I've been in touch with him and he, I've, I've asked him this question because he's really been researching naltrexone for decades. He was actually responsible for getting it FDA approved for alcoholism in 1994. So he's really been not only a researcher, but a clinician who's using this medication every day with his patients in practice. And even him, someone who's like the most qualified person to spread the word about this, he's kind of been poo-pooed or made to be, he told me he's like, they, they would call me a quack, essentially, mm. um, really for a few different reasons, but primarily because the there's a belief system out there. And I've just learned this talking with doctors, going to conferences, talking to Dr. Volpicelli, that um, abstinence is the only way to heal from alcohol addiction, that like once you have this disease, there's no going back. And they don't like the idea of um, encouraging people who struggle with alcohol to continue to drink following this Mm. protocol. So there's really been this resistance that, um, you know, really goes against like how the treatment system is set up. Like if you go to rehab, you're going to go to detox. They're going to tell you to stop drinking. You can't ever drink again. So there's no real like treatment center 
in a big way that's set up to support a drink reduction model for people. Um, and so I think that's that's really uh, one of the big, big reasons for it. And really this collective belief from physicians that, you know, abstinence is the best way and the only way. But if you look at the data, and there's one study, I could even send it to you, where it says in the headline of the study, it says alcohol addiction is a chronic relapsing condition with an 80% or more failure rate uh, with regards to abstinence in rehab centers. So basically saying that 80% of people who go to rehab are going to relapse within six months because it's a chronic relapsing condition, which is true because the brain is essentially wired to think about and crave alcohol. So that's once someone develops an alcohol addiction. So that's why it's Mm -hmm. so hard for people just to quit drinking. Like I myself, I'd be like, why can't I just quit? Like it's destroying my health, my life. Why can't I just quit? But really what I felt like is my brain was hijacked. Like logically I wanted to quit, but this addiction was like louder and controlling my my brain. And so with the Sinclair method, I feel like it just like erased that part of the brain where like, I just don't care about alcohol. And back to how I was before I started drinking where like, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't desire it. And so that's a little bit about why it's why it's not more well known. And naltrexone is a generic drug, so there's no pharmaceutical company out there marketing it, making tons of money. Like it's less than a dollar a pill without insurance. It's like wow. so cheap, and mm-hmm. so um, there's no financial incentive for mm-hmm. you know a, a pharmaceutical company to go you know on a marketing campaign for it. That stinks. I have a lot of beefs with the healthcare system, but the fact that a drug doesn't get popularity because you no know, big company is making big money off of it to worth be, make it worth marketing is a is a problem. Yeah, I yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, so if we know or if we suspect that someone we love has an alcohol addiction, what kind of things are supportive? That's a really good question, and I have a lot of compassion and sympathy for loved ones who are struggling because oftentimes they've been through so much just being Mm -hmm. on the sidelines of someone who's struggling with alcohol and trying to support them and trying to help them and oftentimes getting at their wits end like feeling like they don't know what to do and the difficult thing is like I kind of said like when we have an alcohol addiction it really does feel like our brain is hijacked like we have a logical part of our brain that is saying, I love my family, I love my job, my kids, like, why do I keep doing this? But then again, the addiction is kind of speaking louder. So we do seemingly illogical, irresponsible things to kind of keep feeding the addictive behavior. And so many people get stuck in that cycle. So if your loved one is struggling, I would definitely, you know, and particularly with alcohol, I would definitely encourage you or them to look into evidence-based treatments for alcohol addiction. Because abstinence, as I said, it's been shown to have an 80% or more failure rate. Of course, it works for some people. Some people finally do get sober, but it just in my experience, I tried so many times and I couldn't stay sober until I went on this treatment protocol, um, the Sinclair method. So I would just encourage you to look into evidence-based protocols, including the Sinclair method. Um, as I mentioned, there's the documentary, One Little Pill. There's the TEDx talk called How I Overcame Alcoholism by Claudia Christian. There's a book. I have it over here. I could grab it. It's called The Cure for Alcoholism by Dr. Roy Escava. I'm not affiliated with the book. It just talks all about the science behind this Mm -hmm. method. Um, So definitely look into the the science and the information about the Sinclair Method Protocol and how it can help people truly heal from the alcohol addiction. Um, There's other modalities that are coming out as well, other medications, but naltrexone is kind of the I mean, I, it's like the gold standard, like shown to be the most effective, the most researched medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would also say just to prioritize taking care of yourself. If you have a loved one that's struggling, like there's only so much 
you can do at the end of the day. Like I've met people who they learn about this treatment, which feels like a miracle for a lot of us, but they still won't do it just because they're not quite ready. Um, Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the individual has to be ready to make this change, even if they're using a really effective treatment. So um, I would say definitely take care of yourself. And um, there's a good book also, I'm not affiliated with it, but it's really geared towards supporting loved ones. It's called Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change. And it really supports a loved one who's alongside someone who's struggling. And they do talk about naltrexone in that book and lots of other kind of tips and strategies to help help the loved ones um, who are dealing with this. Yeah. Wow. It's good to know that there are a lot of varied resources out there, too. Like you can find yeah. a resource that's in the format that's going to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And be your own advocate, whether for you or for a loved one. Like, I think that's so important. I mentioned when I first learned about this, I went to five different doctors in my area and they all told me no. And I I think that's the unfortunate thing is like, if someone goes to their general practitioner and asks for naltrexone, a lot of GPs, you know, they don't know about it. They know Mm -hmm. about it. And and I know this just because I've talked with probably over a thousand people over the last five years, like they go to their doctor and they're refused a prescription Mm. um, because GPs have to know about a lot of stuff and they don't know everything. Um, And also oftentimes they don't feel comfortable treating someone with an alcohol addiction if that's not their um, specialty. And so if someone's going to talk to their doctor, I'd recommend bringing in one of the studies about naltrexone. There's tons of them. You could go to Google Scholar or other um, online forums to pull some of the scientific research behind Mm -hmm. this medicine. And just be your own advocate. Don't give up. Yeah, that's good to know. And and there's a network you said where you can find doctors who are part of the treatment plan. Is that accurate? Yeah. So in our program, we have at Thrive. So we have a support program that guides people through the protocol and we can refer them to a telemedicine doctor for their prescription. So if they want to reach out to us, we can refer them there. Um, If they're outside of the U.S., we have a few connections in different parts of the country. And there's also online forums where people um, share that information as well. So there's definitely like at least in the U.S., there's telemedicine doctors in all 50 states. So um, people should be able to get a prescription that way. Um, Where can they get connected with you if they're interested in learning more? Yeah, so our website is thrivealcoholrecovery.com. And on there, you can contact us. You can email, call, or text, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. Um, We also have social media channels, um, which are linked at the bottom of the website, where I'm always putting out just, like, information and content, including, like, Dr. Volpicelli. I recently posted some video interviews with him where he's talking about kind of his career in this this treatment field and um, kind of what he's seen with regards to success with naltrexone. So um, following us on social media is a good place to do research as well. Good to know. Thank you. Yeah. What do you wish everyone knew about addiction? I think the main thing that comes to my mind is that it's not a logical issue. And I think you know, as someone who's been making videos and talking about this a lot, kind of the, a lot of pushback I get from people who don't understand addiction is like, well, why don't you just quit? Like, if you have a problem, then just don't drink. And it sounds like the right answer. It sounds like, you know, that's logical. You have a problem with alcohol, don't drink. But I think what a lot of people don't understand, especially if they've never struggled with addiction, is that it's not this logical issue. Like I said, I would wake up super hungover. I would do or say things I regret it. And I'd be like, why do I keep doing this to myself? Like, why can't I just quit? Or I'd wake up and say, that's it. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm never drinking again. 
And that was like my logical brain being completely fed up with this issue. Mm -hmm. But again, the addiction, which is like the, the craving, the compulsion, the constant thinking and mental preoccupation for drinking, that would always win out. And how I describe it, and this is shown in neurological research of how alcohol addiction develops in the brain. Um, it really feels like my brain was hijacked because my brain really got used to the reward from alcohol. And so it was constantly looking for alcohol, craving it, thinking about it, mentally preoccupied with it. And so um, there's also a phenomenon without going too deeply into it called the alcohol deprivation effect, which has also been researched that shows when someone quits drinking, they can actually go into a deprivation mode because their brain is getting being starved from the reward it was getting from alcohol, essentially. And when that happens, the craving for it increases. So all this to say, I think um, for people to recognize that alcohol addiction is not a logical issue. It's not something where it's, you know, for most of us, as easy it is just like, just don't drink. You know, some people certainly can do that. But there's a reason that many people end up relapsing over and over again, because it's it's um, a part of the brain is being impacted that is uh, very powerful and very primitive and kind of overrides mm -hmm. the logic. And that's where science-based, evidence-based treatments like the Sinclair method work to reverse it. I feel like it reversed it at the root. Like it just ripped the addiction mm -hmm. out of my brain yeah. and I feel permanently healed from it. Wow. That's cool. That's very cool. What have I not asked you that you want to talk about? You know, I don't think there's anything you didn't ask me, but I would just say if anyone's listening and you're struggling, whether you are someone who feels like, you know, I'm only drinking three glasses of wine a night, but I have to have those three glasses, or I'm drinking three bottles of wine a night and I have to have those three bottles, or I only binge drink on the weekends. Like alcohol use disorder looks different from person to person. And mm -hmm. in my experience, it impacts people who are oftentimes very successful. They have a lot going on, a lot in their life, like where, again, the outside world wouldn't really know that you struggle. And so it causes this isolating experience and the shame can build up on us and we can just feel like we're a bad person or like we've mm -hmm. failed or why don't I have control like other people do. And I just want to encourage you that you are not alone if you're struggling with alcohol use disorder, whatever that looks like. It impacts millions of people um, in the U.S. alone. And again, people who you wouldn't suspect, like I'm just mm -hmm. one of my clients I'm thinking of, he's a really successful physician who's about to retire, had like an incredible career, and he has struggled for over a decade with alcohol. Wow. You would never know it looking at him. And so, mm -hmm. um, and I have stories like that over and over again. And so for people to know that it's not something that discriminates, it can happen to anyone. And really it can happen to anyone because, you know, the more we drink and the more we drink repetitively, um, mm -hmm. our brain can develop this disorder. And often people say, I don't know when I went from being a normal drinker to this like destructive drinking. It can sneak up on us. So if that's you, if, if you're struggling, just have hope, um, you know, mm -hmm. with your, your podcast name and everything, have hope because um, today there are more scientific evidence-based treatments that can really help and have been proven through research to help people. And so there are answers out there. And so um, be your own advocate. Don't lose hope and just trust that there is an answer out there for you. No, that's good. That's really good. Katie, would you be willing to pray for us? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Father God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity for us to come together and share this information, Lord. I, every day I hear that people are, um, that this method is an answer to prayer for them. And so I thank you, Lord, that in your sovereign way, you can use anything to free people from alcohol use disorder and other 
uh, burdens and issues in their life. Lord God, I just, I pray that you would bless this conversation, that it would reach people who need to hear it, Lord. Um, I pray that the people on the other end listening would um, be able to get the help they need, whether they're struggling with alcohol use disorder or any other issue in, in their life. We thank you, Lord, that you know everything about us. You love us and you care for us. And um, we just worship you and glorify you, Father God. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You thank had mentioned you. that you didn't know you weren't a Christian yet when you were first struggling with alcohol. And I realized Correct. that I'm a total gap in your story. All right. Tell me how those two came together. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I was, um, I was really deep in the new age movement. Do you know what that is? I'm vaguely familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So it's like tarot cards, psychic, uh, yoga, um, kind of believing that you are God and you manifest your own reality. At least that was like mm-hmm. my view. You kind of dabble in all religions. And I believe Jesus was just like a wise person who came to earth and incarnated on earth. So I was in that for 10 years. And when I found the Sinclair Method, I was still in that space. Um, and I got sober from alcohol uh, through the method in 2018. And then I, Jesus found me, I should say, in 2020. And kind of what happened between 2018 and 2020 is that for the first time in my life, I started to become curious about God. I feel like, you know, he could have found me anywhere, but um, I feel like my mind was clear because I was drunk every day before, to be honest. Mm. Um, my mind was clear for the first time, and I was like, you know, what is, like, this whole life? Like, is God real? I don't know. Like, I was just really starting to become curious, and I considered myself very spiritual during that time, and I kept getting this thought for months and months. Like, if you're so spiritual, you should read a Bible. Like, that's the Mm. most spiritual book there is, and just kept getting this thought repeatedly over and over, but I didn't act on it, Um, and then kind of leading up to that, people, I just saw people all around me talking about Jesus and like people would literally randomly message me on Instagram that I don't even know. Hey, do you know Jesus? Um, And I would like block them because I was like, Christians are weirdos. Mm -hmm. I like had this like preconceived idea about what Christians were. Um, But I kept seeing like scripture and just people talking about Jesus like on Facebook. And I remember one day just kind of feeling like annoyed, like Oh, why do people like Jesus so much? Jesus, if you're, and I, I prayed like for the first time in my life, like not like, I guess from like a humble heart where I was mm-hmm. like, Jesus, if you're real, like show me, like I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to prove it wrong in a way, sure. but that prayer changed everything. Like within, I would say 24 to 48 hour period, um, I just saw what I was doing in the new age was demonic. And I think Mm -hmm. the thing that led me to that, I was on YouTube again one day and I saw this testimony of a guy who shared from new age to Jesus and his testimony, it was like he was me talking about his like new age practices and what the Lord had pulled him out of. And it just immediately made me realize that what I was doing in the new age was really of the devil um, Mm -hmm. and not from God. And now that I've read the Bible and read the Bible, I see there's warning against warnings against this, like over and over again, like, you know, just worshiping idols and practicing witchcraft and all of that, which is exactly what the new age was. And so um, in 2020, that's when Jesus saved me and I gave my life to Christ. And I just kind of left that whole new age world um, and have been following him ever since. And it's, it's really interesting to me because um, I think God there's like no, uh, clearly no mistakes or anything like that. So yeah. I really have this fresh perspective of what it's like to not believe in God. And 
a lot of people come to the Sinclair method because it's a science-based protocol. It doesn't require God, you know, mm-hmm. like AA, you, I mean, AA kind of says anything can be God. It's not right. necessarily. There's a higher power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I just feel like the Lord, like he did that on purpose. And so I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? Um, and, but yeah, so now I, I have known the Lord for over three years and like part of our program, we have a Christian group and a support group, but it's not like, you know, for everyone. Cause there's a lot of non-believers as well. Sure. So that's like the short version of my story. Very cool. No, that's awesome. I'm glad that we filled us in on that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah, for sure. So on the show, we're always trying to learn something new, learn from somebody else's perspective. And it's always helpful to know what's something that you've learned recently. I feel like what's coming up for me is just like having to do with my relationship with the Lord and how uh, what he's been teaching me about how important it is for me just to continue to surrender to him. And like the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, like seek first the kingdom of God and live kingdom of God and live righteously and all else will be added to you. Like that understanding of what that means has become more magnified in my life where I could see myself self still seeking success or things I wanted or even like goals in my life which I think there's room for all of those things but just realizing that God needs to be above all of those things and Mm -hmm. he's been correcting me personally in that more and more lately so (laughs) that's what's coming up for me it's there's something I've learned about how life-changing it is to really continue to surrender and submit to God and I feel like I'd been doing that but like he just continued to show me to go deeper as he does with us he's always working on us but that's something that um, has been a revelation for me lately wow well that's awesome I love that I love it when people are talking about like the intimate things that God is sharing with them because it's a glimpse in their lives that most people don't get to see or are hesitant to share so thank you for going there with us yeah I appreciate you letting me that was what was coming up for me so yeah That's great. Well, Katie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, for educating us, for helping us understand a little bit more about what what options exist and and how we can combat um, addiction altogether, because it is kind of a a communal issue because it happens everywhere where we don't where we don't expect it or know about it. Um, And so thank you for for trusting us with your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, I, I every day whenever I talk about this method, there's someone who says, I know someone who struggle or I have a friend or a family or I'm struggling. So I feel like whether addiction with alcohol touches you personally or someone you know, like everyone seems to know someone. So I hope this information is helpful for people. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Katie. As always, a big thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to connect with Katie. There are links in the show notes to all the resources she mentioned. If you're looking for another episode on addiction, maybe check out episode 90, where Florence Mays tells his story of a near-death experience and then what it looked like to become sober. I would love to connect with you as well. You can find me at katieaxelson.com and on Instagram at katieaxelson. Till I see you next, my friend, know that you are loved, know that you are cared for, know that you are seen, and you are valued. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.